0: Good morning, everybody. This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Tuesday, September 26th, 2023. I'm your host, Jackie Sedley. Coming up on today's program, we'll hear about how the Supreme Court's ruling to remove race as a factor during the college admissions process will alter the future of higher education. Then the latest edition of This Week in Water on drought. It's drawing salt water up the Mississippi River and more. We'll wrap up with clips from a press conference last week, demanding justice for Brandon Cole. At the bottom of the hour, we'll have an update from the BBC News headlines. Then, it's how on Earth. Coming up on The Science Show, you'll hear about BirdCast, Colorado State University's program for bird migration. At 9 a.m., we'll have an edition of The Wit and Wisdom of Alan Watts that's been sitting in a vault. Then at 9.30, Joanne Cole will be in the Boulder studio for the morning sound alternative. All that's still coming up, but first, it's time for headlines with KGNU's John Kellen.
1: Police in Denver are relocating about 70 people living at an encampment at 8th Avenue and Logan Street near the governor's mansion today. The sweep is part of Mayor Mike Johnson's initiative to get 1,000 homeless people off the streets and into housing by the end of the year. Officials notified the affected people last week, according to the Denver Gazette. Many spent yesterday packing their things and loading them onto a bus. City officials have offered shelter to some at an undisclosed hotel. A city spokesperson said they're trying to get as many of the affected people as possible lined up with a place to go. The reasons given for the cleanup are, quote, "...deteriorating conditions including trash, human waste, discarded needles, and unidentified encumbrances that are blocking the public's right-of-way." Meanwhile, the City Council last night approved measures that allocate nearly $30 million toward the mayor's effort to address homelessness in Denver. KGNU's Steve Miller reports.
2: On Monday, council leaders approved several resolutions dedicated towards providing additional funds to certain organizations, as well approving the first reading of a bill that would allocate $15.7 million towards the acquisition of the Best Western Hotel at 4595 Quebec Street. The 194-unit property is already set to operate as an emergency shelter until the property is converted into supportive housing. The remaining money approved goes towards existing contracts with some of the city's homelessness outreach groups, including Denver Rescue Mission. Organizations like Family Promise of Greater Denver, Salvation Army, Urban Peak Denver, and Volunteers of America Colorado were also awarded additional funding from the city. Other measures that are still being considered for funding include providing $6.4 million towards the Colorado Coalition for the Homeless, towards encampment resolution outreach. However, the council postponed hearing this item until the next council meeting. For KGNU, I'm Steve Miller.
1: Testimony is scheduled to resume today in the trial of two police officers charged in the 2019 death of Elijah McClain. Both men have pleaded not guilty to manslaughter, criminally negligent homicide, and second-degree assault. Prosecutors say the officers only stopped McLean as he walked home from a convenience store because of 911 calls of a, quote, sketchy person in the area. In the confrontation that followed, McLean was put in a chokehold before paramedics arrived and administered a sedative. He died several days later. A third officer will be tried separately next month. The two paramedics will be tried together in November. Two former Clear Creek deputies charged in the death of a Boulder man have until November 2nd to decide whether to take a plea deal. The two are under indictment for the fatal shooting of Christian Glass in June of 2022. Details of the plea deal have not been made public. Former Deputy Andrew Buhn is charged with second-degree murder, official misconduct, and reckless endangerment for shooting Glass. Kyle Gould is charged with criminally negligent homicide and reckless endangerment. He was not at the scene, but gave the order to use force to get Glass from his car. Glass called 911 after he got stuck on a boulder in Silver Plume. Once the deputies arrived, he reportedly seemed to be in a mental crisis and would not come out of the car. The deputies resorted to force after about an hour. Glass was shot five times in the chest. The Glass family was awarded $19 million in a settlement this summer. Lawyers for Donald Trump are challenging efforts to keep him off the Colorado ballot in 2024. KGNU's News' Juanita Hurtado has the story.
3: In a court filing yesterday, Trump attorneys argued that the lawsuit aimed at keeping the former president off of the Colorado ballot should be dismissed. Lawsuit advocates are citing a 14th amendment clause prohibiting anyone from running for office if they have taken part in an insurrection. They say Trump's efforts to overturn his laws to Joe Biden in 2020 meet the standard, since they led to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. But a Trump attorney says the lawsuit is a violation of the former president's First Amendment right to free speech. His attorney also says the suit should be dismissed because Trump is not officially a candidate under Colorado's election law. Some are calling the case the most important in a series of 14 amendment challenges to the former president's candidacy. District Judge Sarah B. Wallace has scheduled a hearing for October 13 on the motion to dismiss. A hearing on the constitutional issues is scheduled for October 30th. Last week, Judge Wallace agreed to a protective order for witnesses and others involved in the suit. Due to the Expressense history of what she called inflammatory statements in other cases in which he is a defendant. For KGNU, I'm Jonny Tortado.
1: Meantime, another Capitol rioter has been sentenced to prison for actions in Washington on January 6, 2021. Rodney Millstreet is from Maryland but was arrested in Colorado last year. He pleaded guilty to several charges, including assaulting an officer with a dangerous weapon and received five years in prison. At his sentencing Friday, an officer he injured called him a domestic terrorist and a traitor. More than 10,000 people in Colorado were cut off Medicaid even though they were still eligible. Colorado and other states began removing people from their Medicaid rolls last spring. It was the first time they'd done so in three years because of the pandemic when states that kept people covered received extra federal money. Now, the Colorado Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing says 10,044 people were mistakenly removed because the agency thought they made too much money. A spokesperson says the state is working to get them all reinstated. Another round of e-bike vouchers for Denver residents become available today. The limited rebates program begins at 11 o'clock this morning. There are standard rebates, income-qualified rebates, and adaptive rebates for people with disabilities. City officials expect the vouchers to be snapped up quickly. More rebates will be available on November 28th. For today's round, go to denverclimaterebates.com at 11 a.m. In today's weather forecast, expect a warm one with sunny skies through the day and into the evening. In Denver, the high should be 84 degrees, 80 degrees in Boulder, 83 in Fort Collins, and in Netherland the high should reach 69 degrees. For KGNU, I'm John Kellan.
0: You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Jackie Sedley. The end of affirmative action came in June after the Supreme Court ruled against its use in college admissions. So, how are universities across the country adapting their admissions process to comply with the ruling and ensure their institution is diverse? KGNU's Ivan Olivas reports.
4: University admission officials take into account a number of factors when deciding whom to invite into their institutions. They usually include a prospective student's academic record, extracurricular activities, and values. Before the Supreme Court's decision on June 29th, they could also take into account something else that may influence a person's life experiences, race. Writer Sochil Gonzalez has been critical of the Supreme Court's decision to remove affirmative action during college admissions. She says factoring in race helped to broaden perspectives in higher education.
5: What it would do is it would help them sort of create a class that had the breadth of experience that you would hope is reflective of, you know, not only the country but, you know, in some cases you know in, in you know when you're looking at a university that has a global student body like you know, perspectives
4: from around the world. The first whisper of a term called affirmative action with the aim of creating racial equality in the United States came through President Lyndon Johnson in the early 1960s. He passed an executive order that attempted to reduce discrimination towards the Black community. Throughout U.S. history, affirmative action policies have spread across legislation to provide people of color with more opportunities. The term has been challenged repeatedly, and the last Supreme Court ruling removed affirmative action from playing a role in university admission acceptance. The court case focused on Harvard College and the University of North Carolina, two of the oldest private universities in the country. Conservative Justice John Roberts delivered the Conservatives' majority opinion regarding the 6-3 ruling. He said, quote, the student must be treated based on his or her experiences as an individual, not on the basis of race, end quote. Justice Sonia Sotomayor voiced the dissenting opinion, writing that, quote, the majority's vision of racial neutrality will entrench racial segregation in higher education because racial inequality will persist so long as it is ignored, end quote. Gonzalez says not taking diversity into account will diminish the education of students across racial lines, including at prestigious universities.
5: Statistically, I hope that these officers, these you know admissions officers will come up with some creative solutions. But if you look at states, if you look at the UC system in California, if you look at the state systems in Michigan, like when they have taken affirmative action off the table there has immediately been a decrease and a diminishment in diversity.
4: Some universities in the country have systems in place that make them less vulnerable to decisions like the Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action. Von Toland is the Director of Admissions and Outreach at Metropolitan State University in Denver, or MSU.
6: At MSU Denver, uh, we don't use race as a factor in admissions, um, mainly due to the fact, you know, of... Based on our access role admission, uh, we have a modified open admissions requirements here at MSU Denver. So we actually have the most lenient admissions requirements of any four-year college here in the state of Colorado. So that means we admit, you know, roughly 90% of students who apply and we deny very few students.
4: MSU also decided years ago to make the disclosure of scores on tests like the SAT optional.
6: We really... Uh, decided to deprioritize test scores in the admissions process because we knew that there was a bias in those test scores um, and favored certain populations of students. And then we also started back in, I think it was about 2007, um, an HSI initiative or Hispanic Serving Institution initiative as an institution. And so uh, our goal was to become a Hispanic Serving Institution. And that means at least 25% of your students have to identify as Hispanic
4: MSU Denver also partners with different high schools across the state that have a high percentage of students of color. This has allowed them to diversify their student body, but this isn't true for all universities across the country. The inability to use affirmative action means some universities, highly coveted ones in particular, need to implement new strategies to create a mixed bag of students. Some have already started the shift. Emory University in Georgia is altering its admissions process by adding a new essay prompt questioning a student's cultural identity. At Sarah Lawrence College in New York, a new essay question prompts applicants to explore how the Supreme Court's decision will or will not affect their education. Author Sochil Gonzalez says removing affirmative action will push schools to take more time reviewing applications.
5: What's going to happen, though, is that it's going to be a lot harder and a lot more expensive for these schools to run admissions because they're going to really need to take a lot more time to comb through kind of essays and recommendations and the things that are not just black and white on paper um, in order to make sure that they're getting people coming from vast, you know, vast array of experiences and that. That will be represented not by a box, but by written word.
4: The admissions process will be permanently altered for future applicants to the University of North Carolina and Harvard. But the Supreme Court's decision will have a trickling effect on higher education in the entire country. For KGNU, I'm Yvonne Olivas.
0: Up next is This Week in Water with Franny Halperin and Jamie Sutler.
7: Drought is drawing salt water upriver. That story and more on H2O Radio's weekly news report. I'm Jamie Sutler.
8: I'm Franny Halperin, and it's This Week in Water.
7: The drought that has hit the U.S. Midwest and South has caused the Mississippi River to be so low that salt water is creeping up from the Gulf of Mexico.
8: The salt water moves up the bottom of the river because it's heavier than fresh water. Most years, the flow of the river keeps the salt at bay.
7: The brackish water has already contaminated some water systems and is now threatening others. So the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is planning to send barges with fresh water to treatment systems near New Orleans, which is about 100 miles upriver from the Gulf of Mexico.
8: The Bayou State has recently experienced wildfires, and it was the third driest and also hottest summer ever on record. Now the prospect of water systems being contaminated is causing another emergency.
7: A few communities have already had their systems overcome, causing schools to shut and leaving some people without drinking water.
8: The Army Corps is trying to stop the salty water and has constructed a barrier 1,500 feet wide called a sill that's like an underwater levee made from river sediment to slow the creep however it was overtopped and the corps is going to expand it starting this week
7: rain is not in the forecast and salt water could reach the new orleans area in two and a half weeks barge companies have had to reduce their loads on the mississippi just as harvest season is about to get underway. sixty per cent of u s grain exports are shipped on the river each year
8: The push by employers to require workers to return to the office instead of working remotely is increasing. According to a report by Resume Builder, a website for job seekers, more than half of firms surveyed require some or all employees to work in person, and almost 40% intend to do so by the end of next year. Close to one-third say they will threaten those who don't comply with being fired. However, returning to the
7: office may not be good for the environment, according to a new study from Cornell and Microsoft, which looked at five factors, commuting, non-commute travel, energy use at residences and offices, and information technology devices.
8: The researchers concluded that remote workers would have a 54% lower carbon footprint compared to those on site. People who work remotely part-time, two to four days a week, reduce their carbon footprint by up to 30%.
7: The main carbon savings are from commuting and office energy use. However, remote working only one day had little effect.
8: The choices people make in their remote work life can also have an effect on their carbon footprint. As the number of remote work days increases, trips for social and recreational activities are greater, so the study's authors cautioned against concluding that all remote work could lower emissions.
7: In the 1930s, when the U.S. was in the midst of the Great Depression, with many out of work and jobs scarce, President Franklin Roosevelt established the Civilian Conservation Corps, where single young men could enlist in work programs to improve public lands, forests, and parks.
8: Environmental groups and Democrats have been pushing to develop a similar federal program to address the climate crisis. And last week, President Biden used executive action to create the American Climate Corps that will train young people for careers in clean energy, conservation, and the climate resilience economy.
7: The move is meant to secure younger voters who say climate change is their key concern. Funding was initially proposed as part of climate actions in last year's Inflation Reduction Act, but was removed after Republicans objected.
8: The White House expects there to be 20,000 recruits in the program's first year, working on a range of projects from restoring coastal wetlands and planting trees to installing solar panels and retrofitting homes to be more energy efficient.
7: Unlike the original Conservation Corps, which only recruited white men, The new Climate Corps will have a diverse and inclusive workforce.
8: And finally, care about the oceans and want to help protect them from climate change and the tons of plastic-choking marine life? The tiny South Pacific Island nation of New Way, about 1,500 miles northeast of New Zealand, has an offer for you.
7: For just $148, you can sponsor one square kilometer about 250 acres of the country's marine territory through its ocean conservation commitments or OCC's program, that was launched during the United Nations annual meeting in New York last week.
8: Niue's territorial waters are 1,200 times larger than its landmass, which makes it challenging for the tiny country to protect its pristine coral reefs, undersea mountains, and diverse marine life from illegal fishing, climate change, and pollution.
7: The OCC sponsorships will allow Niue to monitor its marine environment, fund conservation efforts and education, as well as build a climate-resilient and sustainable blue economy.
8: The government is kicking off the campaign by purchasing 1,700 units, one for each of the island's residents. All donors will receive a certificate together with an annual progress report that they say will show that even the smallest of nations can make global waves.
7: That's it for this Week in Water. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
0: You're listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Jackie Sedley. Community leaders and loved ones demanded justice for Brandon Cole on Tuesday last week, September 19th, at a press conference in Aurora. Cole was shot and killed by a Denver police officer responding to a domestic dispute on August 5th of this year. He was killed within 46 seconds of police contacting him. Cole was 36 years old and died in the street in front of his family while holding a magic marker the police later said they thought was a weapon. The officer has not yet been publicly identified. KGNU's Dave Ashton was in attendance and recorded the conference. There were many speakers, one of which was Robert DeCiello. He's the lead attorney representing Brandon Cole's family. Here's part of what he had to say.
9: I am beyond humbled to stand with these two people. The problem with this case for the, De- the Denver Police is both one of an object, a marker that can't be a knife, and objects who are the people standing next to me. The Denver Police is not unlike most of the police departments that I face across this country, and I have cases all over the country. We just left Orlando yesterday on the arrest of a six-year-old girl, African American, we did a press conference there. Now I'm doing this press conference for this family. And I will continue to fight across this country for my clients. But they're not my clients. Sitting next to me on my right is half of Brandon. How you doing? How old are you? He's thirteen. This is his example of his thirteenth year. We're yelling and hollering and upset and pained, and we have warriors behind us and all around us who've been trying to keep him safe and who will continue to do that. And he's staring at these cameras with me. And I ask you to let me keep the calm tone because this has been a traumatic and abusive experience for him. And so as the Denver police wonder, what are the damages in this case? This is one of the moments, guys. Right here. And I can't tell you what it feels like to hold the mother of this man in my left hand and hold him in my right. Because it hurts my guts to believe two things. that One, most of you think I'm here for the money. That's the lawyers especially. And number two, that these people were objects who made phone calls And their father-husband deserved to die for the way he behaved. Did I tell you he was an epileptic? Did I tell you he had medical problems? That he was a human being who had a dream to have a home to raise this boy sitting next to me? That he has a wife that loves him, and they fought. They had arguments. She did not get dumped out of her wheelchair by him. There was no big fight. Let's eliminate that, too. And I can't repeat the allegation without sickening, nausea rising in my throat over the notion that he wanted to die that day. That is, that, that is, when you repeat those words, or if anyone watching this program repeats those words, you're saying them to the young man on my right, he's 13 years old. So if you don't care about violence, if you don't care about people, if you don't care about anything, please try, as you watch this right now, to care about you. If you have a view of how other people behave and how they should behave, think of him. How is he going to behave? How is he going to move through this world? My job as his lawyer is to make sure that he has every single thing he needs to get through it as comfortably as humanly possible. Because justice is nothing but the story of dignity lost and returned. And I intend to return the dignity of these people. These are people return the dignity that was taken from them when the police department took their loved ones. Thank you. Mm.
0: The case of Brandon Cole's killing remains under investigation. The two officers involved in the incident have been placed on modified paid leave while the investigation continues. that's it for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Jackie Sedley. Thanks to Alexis Kenyon, Juanita Hurtado, John Kellen, Steve Miller, Franny Halpern, and Jamie Sudler for their contributions to today's program. Stay tuned for How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. That's coming up after the BBC News headlines.